Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. This is your host from the Third Coast Beyond, Top Secret Texan. It's my great honor to be broadcasting to you once again from the great Gulf of Mexico shore, seashore. Really emphasize the Space Coast aspect of it these days, and I think that's extremely appropriate going into this new episode that I have planned for you, this new episode, which is going to lead to a whole new series, so, you know, thank you very much, uh, I appreciate it sincerely from the bottom of my heart, listeners, new and old, followers from the very beginning to the people this might be your first episode, and I say to each one of you, uh, namaste and shalom, iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you very, very much for giving me the time of your day to help kind of shed some light and illuminate you on any kind of uh, questions you might be having or, or concerns you might be feeling for the world right now. You'll be looking all around and wondering why things aren't adding up and, and feeling the hype and the energy and the vibrations of the current day and age. Knowing that something big is going to happen, knowing something's on the horizon, something wicked this way comes, and not really being able to piece together or see clearly, you know, through the rain. So, the fog of war, and I'm going to have to lift that, illuminate you guys, bring some light into the world um, today, and in the future, be talking about the secret space program. Um, very seriously about the real application behind it, the real theory behind it, the practice of it, the action of it, the existence of it, and how not only to see it in action, but what you will be looking for when you do see it. So it's no longer merely a question of observance and being in the right spot in the right time, but it's actually a premeditative like, you know, caution as well as um, calculation on your part. Uh, if you are, like me, a citizen journalist at heart or an experiencer also like myself who wants more uh, answers to the questions or um, an aficionado of this uh, very niche uh, world of top secret, you know, classified military action, black project stuff, uh, surprisingly, uh, it's been a concern because I believe... It's hard to kind of sell these things. I'm not speaking merely about conspiracy theories. I'm not trying to romanticize unknowns or unknowable questions or point out countercultures and communities like that. Really, it is a hardcore disclosure on my own part with my own experiences, insider knowledge, as well as military watchdogging that helped create this channel as well as... Um, the pursuits and passions that I have personally, so even regardless of this channel or not, I would still very much uh, pursue those things in, in absolute seriousness uh, for it's my passion. Uh, yes, I am doing this professionally because it is my passion, and that is why I think it's most, uh, my time is best suited for my, my, my life itself is put on this earth to help bring knowledge about these things as well as uh, function as a journalist realistically inside the world doing the best amount of good by showing them that this occurs in the real world right above their heads all around them, under their feet uh, just miles away from them where they live uh, around the world, international communities right, uh, 
young and old for generations throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century as far as I can predict and see into the future uh, the secret space program reality will be absolutely essential to every single um, understanding of the world in its big picture format just like understanding the United States military itself the actions of the Pentagon is a way to understand the entirety of the 20th century and the way of understanding military's history itself technologies and you know governing policies organizations motivations etc that culture can best make sense of the world's history especially when you start thinking about things like in terms of the Roman army and its influence on the world or the ancient Egyptian pharaohs and dominating with their military technologies and then etc. The Greek navies. As you see, you, you wonder why the military is so universally powerful in each one of these situations is because specifically the cultures, tactics and insights were kept not only secret amongst themselves, but ultimately throughout time became the most uh, fascinating aspects of these cultures, the ones that people remember the most. Um, at the time, it was, you know, the real world, and it was a one aspect, a rather secretive and clandestine aspect of their own culture. Uh, the millions of citizens of Rome did not fight in its army, nor did they serve in its military in any real capacity, except maybe for. Watch out with that. But they also, uh, the citizens did not really support or, or conduct themselves in any kind of military capacity. But they also uh, paid taxes into it, and they they were aware of it. They committed to, um, you know, living under its order, under its rule, surrendering their sons and daughters to it, um, if they were fortunate enough, or, uh, you know, entertaining themselves with different aspects of, of their uh, conquests and deeds, choosing their political leaders based on their affiliation and mastery of these forces, loyalty of these forces to them. Um, just think about how Julius Caesar rose uh, through the ranks of nobility, through his uh, mastery of martial culture, becoming a general, then reward amongst other generals for the uh, future of Rome itself and proclaimed himself emperor, uh, god emperor actually, based on his military victories and near invincible campaigns that he had waged across uh, Northern Europe, Italy, and uh, the Middle East. These cannot be ignored because the same principles of power reflect in the modern day military, specifically in the breakaway civilizations that govern not only our country, well, rather, they not only govern these black uh, these black uh, budget projects, these gunk work level projects, these extremely top secret, beyond top secret, above top secret, majestic eyes only projects um, that make up the secret space program and it's many, many different areas of existence. It's many different um, uh, organizations, it's many different branches, it's many different levels, it's many different uh, contractors, uh, you know, 
cover-up facades that they have created, local nationalities, militaries, business uh, merchants, etc. Um, everything that is because of it and everything that has to do with it can basically be considered a part of the secret space program and it's so compartmentalized um, that it itself is basically designed by a blind watchmaker so that the people who are in the production elements of it aren't anywhere near aware of the um, you know, general strategies of, of the implications of the materials that they're producing and that mining um, companies, specialists, contractors, things like that are just interested in the resources and the science and the engineering and that they have absolutely, or they're completely apolitical and that, uh, you know, to them, there's hundreds of these companies and these organizations, these uh, branches from international uh, major world powers when it comes to technology and engineering. Um, you know, basically, uh, it has been doing this, uh, and it's, it's been operating that way for close to a hundred years currently. Just, abs just under uh, 10 to 15 years until you can verifiably say the first era of human space travel uh, was uh, performed, was conducted, uh, was uh, undertaken, and absolutely within the realms of possibility that we're actually older now in terms of the true definition of a secret space program, which is top secret military operations kept secret, basically covered up by the elites when in regards to extraterrestrials, advanced technologies, and other um, impossible unknowns. And, and we'll turn a phrase. So we're going to be speaking a lot about this in regards to its importance. We're going to be speaking a lot about it too. It's sort of like the idea of big picture versus, um, you know, the small picture of microcosms or macrocosms where we talk about Say, for example, because we always talk about Solar Warden, we always talk about the ICC, we always talk about, um, you know, Dark Fleet, and it's one of those things where if you say it enough, you forget to know exactly what it means. You forget to kind of really take into your, your calculations what exactly you're referring to. The same way when you say, like, the United States Army or the United States Air Force or, you know... You, the United States itself, when you speak about it in, uh, say, like, just using it as a term for its foreign policies or its uh, political uh, landscape or its military, you are referring to the third largest by population nation in uh, on Earth. So, you know, you're really... Uh, you know, throwing a lot under one banner term, one umbrella term. You know, the idea of the United States itself is separate from the consequences of its citizenry or the knowledge of its citizenry. And so when I'm speaking in the future about this, about the United States, I'm not saying everyone in the United States, if you're not from the United States, uh, listening home is having a huge international audience apparently very proud of that, sincerely very, very, very thankful about that um, 
I, I actually wish I could transcribe my uh, podcast to Spanish. That'll be a lengthy time, but um, currently that's what my first step is to start translating these into Spanish. Um, at least get the transcripts, the Spanish language option open so that uh, my listeners south of the uh, Rio Grande can, can appreciate it. So thank you all very much um, listening out there because, you know, everywhere is dream mind. All humans dream. You guys start focusing on universals, you know, things that unite us and, and not divide us. So let's get into it. Um, Yes, uh, once again, like, uh, when I refer to China, when I refer to Russia, when I refer to the United States, or any country or any nationality, and I say things like the United States Air Force or United States Navy, don't go up to the recruiting station in your local town and then, you know, knock on the guy's door uh, first thing in the morning, get them all excited that he's going to get someone to sign some paperwork, and then you start coming in with questions about chemtrails and shit. He's not going to know. Exactly. You, you can write your congressman. They're not going to know. I know the United States politicians. That's what I say. It, it, the levels of secrecy are way beyond your common. I'm saying it just to kind of term and separate uh, the locations and areas for these things so you can kind of approximate the figures of what culture and what community. And like when I say, oh, in the 1950s, America, this is when things are really kicking off. It's not like. Yes, the civil rights movement was happening. No one involved in the civil rights movement was doing, was, was you know, jiving with the secret space program at the time. But you've got to separate it from the politics and the images. If I say, like, uh, you know, uh, like, I don't know, 1960s Russia, you know, it's not like everyone's just walking around spouting linen. They have scientists, they have communities, the space race, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, these are real people. And, and not everyone knew, Not no one had to know outside the people who did know. And I'll try on this first video to kind of make sense of that, the idea of the classification, the idea of why this is possible. All right, so, okay, we're going to be going into it. This is the secret space program, uh, you know, taken very seriously, explaining the history of it, and then going to get into the culture organization, and then into the present day and modern day. I'll be covering technologies. I'll be covering um, the different terminologies that they use, the different... Um, functions of each of these I want to get into specifics but at the same time that's generally not my nature um, which is ironic but at the same time I have more of an artistic and loose grasp on these things as concepts but I'll try to give the actual call signs, names uh, dimensions, etc. when I can uh, specifically in separate shorter videos but for these podcast type episodes if I said something like you know, the YF-11, uh, exactly, that this becomes mired down to acronyms and into uh, abbreviations, and it's all alphabet soup, and, you know, I've never been a big fan of that kind of jargon, and so I'm trying to relate it to everyone else, like, you know, their common language. I will be talking about advanced scientific and physical concepts, aviation concepts, etc., etc. If you have any questions, feel free to comment or leave, you know, send me an email or DM or whatever on my Instagram, my social media. So, about a good time to plug that. Um, 
if you got Instagram and are listening to this and would like to follow along, I upload daily with memes, humor, as well as cool photos, videos, UFO videos, etc., like uh, cryptids, conspiracy theory, proof, evidence, things like that. Uh, alternative news, uh, fringe stories, uh, you know, and I answer DMs, I, I kind of, you know, really keep connected and uh, do so daily full time. Instagram is at Beyond Top Secret Texan, all one word, all lowercase. You guys can check out my YouTube. If this is, for some reason, you're listening to this and you don't already know, I have a YouTube channel, the Beyond Top Secret uh, Podcast, uh, sorry, Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast. I was thinking, I was like, am I forgetting one? So yeah, the Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast on YouTube. Um, Go check out the videos there. I have original videos there. I have my early archives of work. Over 360 videos currently on YouTube. Uh, check out the playlist. It's the easiest way to navigate the ones that are a year old or older. As uh, I make videos and upload them full time whenever I'm not on YouTube probation. I just got off a one week YouTube probation. So I'll be uploading videos this week of June the 15th, 2021, so whenever you're listening to this, could be way to the future, could be a few days, could be a thousand years, who knows, point is, this, at this moment, this <laughs> is June 15th, 2021, I have just gotten off probation, YouTube probation, I've already uh, created and made the videos, I just need to upload them, and uh, this week will just be basically uploading, so definitely appreciate if you guys join the party for that, leave a comment, whatever, I uh, read them all, so, you know, absolutely uh, stay in touch, check out that, support me through your views, liking my videos, you know, uh, etc. You guys know how to use YouTube. So the point is, you to do a little rebranding, but uh, if you're an older fan, this is, you know, you guys are already hip to the story. So, Beyond Top Secret Texan, Google it, check it out, uh, search it on DuckDuckGo, get that impression rate up, Instagram, best social media to follow me on, uh, YouTube channel, Parallels, uh, the podcast every single way except they have other videos uh, original media etc etc so go check that out the videos are, are great to binge on um, 300 plus so there's extensive deep diving not only and that's just seriously from like a full time uh, a year's worth of effort and everything so definitely appreciate it uh, started at TikTok too which is just the short video clips for UFOs and things like that so review that that is more your flavor and uh, I understand you got to hit these things full spectrum to get as much uh, impression as possible we are trying to give uh, publicity and exposure to these truths so same thing TikTok at beyond top secret Texan um, I think they closed down my Facebook but I'm pretty sure Facebook was completely operated by bots I don't think I, I contacted more than like 10 real people out of a thousand on Facebook they were all just bots or I don't even know uh, which is ironic because Instagram rocks and it's owned by Facebook and it's like you know nothing is nothing lasts forever but you guys enjoy things while times are good and so you say well, well right now though Instagram is fucking awesome and that is definitely the best uh, social media and they're not paying me to say this exactly and Facebook sucks Facebook is the worst Instagram is the best and they're owned by the same company I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. But yeah, I appreciate definitely the the chance of the free networking and the free uh, publicity and the free uh, microblogging that the last decade has provided us in terms of uh, uh, 
promoting small businesses, promoting small entrepreneurial efforts, small creative efforts, artistic efforts, such as this podcast, citizen journalism efforts. Never before has so much power been given into the hands of very many. So yes, um, you know, more than the sands of the seas on the earth, basically, this is how we're going to do it. And it's because it's it was given to us, and it was given to us to pacify us, but the people who know what gift and treasure we've really been given as a species are going to use it. They gave us um, cake and circus, and we made them into, um, you know, our weapons and, and this info war. So absolutely very psyched about that. So let's get into it. So let's get into it. Now, when I say the secret space program, like I said before, it's an umbrella term that catches all. It means any secret military effort that was controlled by elites, either civilian in the military industrial complex, the, the political bureaucracy of war, either specialist intelligence officers, um, data analysts, secretaries of information, dip- diplomats, etc., uh, politicians, uh, you know, one and all, from the president to local, you know, uh, police departments and things like that, if they were ever involved in any real action or real, uh, like, uh, protocol or operations or evolutions with extraterrestrial phenomenon, advanced top secret technology, otherwise classified top secret, um, you know, black project, um, cover, it's something that would warrant the cover up, something that would warrant the secrecy, a matter of national secrecy, right, a matter of, sorry, a matter of national security for reasons to be kept secret. Anything classified under that matter of national security title where the operation was then covered up or the incident was then used to create and to manifest organizations themselves specializing in the discrete handling of such issues in the future, uh, such as the creation of the famed Air Force UFO crash retrieval team, Blue Cap, and um, I want to say yellow fruit this is a good time to to point out that I do not have uh, my notes or anything pre-written now this is all one take from the top of my head and the reason for that is because I want to give a very uh, you know immediate feeling of, of well, the reason why I'm disclosing is because I want to get that immediate feeling of I am either memorizing the research I've already done or channeling the information. If I miss something or get something wrong, forgive me. Uh, the odds were equally great that I did do those same things even if I was staring at five to ten pages of notes. This, uh, you know, I just, I, I remember it, I tried my best, and I flow with it. If I was trying to read notes at a time, it would uh, limit my performance, and, you know, it's just not my style. So thank you for your patience. So yes, the uh, 
creation of these units extends not only from special forces or uh, reactionary, you know, continental type um, responses, like a special forces op a team that would operate without any red tape inside the United States to, say, counter or neutralize any extraterrestrial threat, but extended naturally through logic to foreign international uh, response teams, units that would be stationed overseas in the midst of conventional troops. They're, you know, resources basically uh, excused that way, uh, traveling with these you know, regs, these plainclothes uh, campaigns, for example, in Vietnam, using that major crisis, that whole global area crisis, to be able to not only secure forces, but technologies, resources, etc., funneling them into the budgets of the, in the, the, the I guess you call the manpower needs to and resource needs of these groups. Not only is that part of the secret space program, right, this ground level part of it, I'm talking about the actual research, development, and creation of technologies, strategies, specifically and only reserved and only accessible to, uh, you know, accessible by the secret space force, the secret space program. Now, Obviously, we have a space force now. It's no longer just concluding to the secret space force, but the name, the secret space program, is a little misleading because of that. It's not only the operations in space, such as secret space bases on the moon, secret space stations orbiting Earth, uh, secret missions to different uh, heavenly bodies such as Mars or uh, Venus uh, but it includes and this is a very strange kind of like even understand it it includes the explorations of the hollow earth it includes the colonization of the oceans the includes the uh, exploration of continents on earth that are both connected to these separate things as well as individually uh, remarkable on their own and that they are uninhabited lost worlds, if you were. These mysterious continents, these phantom islands um, that stretch out. So basically, you have these this very multifaceted, complex issue covered in the terms of the secret space program. Everything from special forces like uh, the Night Stalkers and their involvement with, say for example, neutralizing um, threats to the secrecy of the, security, uh, the secret space program, as well as things like the entire Naval uh, Research Center, uh, their, or, or the DARPA, for example, DARPA, and it's almost entirely um, dedicated to creating technologies and strategies on how, how to use those technologies for um, 
the secret space program in terms of hollow earth exploration, in terms of, uh, say for example, the, the colonization efforts of these lost lands, these, these lost continents uh, on Earth, specifically Antarctica, and as well as uh, the security of the communications and electronic um, data of the secret space program to its facilities on Earth, um, having a lot of its research being done on telecommunications and um, cryptography. You see that, this is what I was trying to explain, is that it's not only the spaceships, it's not only the people who fly the spaceships, it's not only the people who know about the spaceships, it's about companies that design, like, radar and radios and, like, uh, you know, shoes and things like that, like, uh, the people who really get this thing off the ground as a, as a concept and really get it implemented safely and securely, as well as keep the secret. Uh, the people who are tasked with keeping the secret are generally just the most um, executive of these companies, specifically, for example, in the ICC. Just like how I was talking earlier about um, when I say the United States Air Force, don't run out to your closest recruiting station and, and ask the recruiter you know, what does he know about the secret space program? Because he won't know literally anything that you're talking about. Same thing is you don't go to someone in the Halliburton offices and demand that, you know, they tell you their off-planet mining operations or um, their complicity in the building, uh, you know, off off the co uh, colonies in, say, for example, Antarctica, or these lost lands, or uh, in the hollow earth, you know, drilling or elevator systems to travel into the hollow earth, they won't know. It's not it's not kept of somebody even in the surface level executive groups. These are all advanced research technologies, engineering departments. They answer to their own internalized uh, chain of command. Their jobs are very well guarded by bureaucracy, so they're not going to be... This is nothing new, right? These were uh, companies inside companies, basically. If you really start breaking it down into the paper trail of things, they are actually shell companies that are owned and budgeted by the National Security uh, Department of Homeland Security in many instances offering them the best of both worlds, which is civilian uh, plausible deniability, as well as national security secrecy. And that the researchers and engineers operate both as civilian intellectuals, civilian specialists, and designers, professionals, uh, able to pursue their own careers, able to pursue their own lives and families, as well as being briefed and given the security clearances, protections, and uh, facilities of the United States military in many cases. Specifically comes to mind as uh, an example that just happened recently in the last 20 years. There was a professor who uh, had came up with anti-gravity propulsion and the mathematics behind that were very sound and she um, 
was very publicized as being a, you know, obviously a female engineer who came up with a, a workable and peer-reviewed theory of how anti-gravity could exist, you know, physically how you wouldn't produce it. She was then uh, hired onto, or basically this is her plan, to become a private engineer in the private sector, working with the National Security uh, Department, working with uh, the Homeland Security Department, and basically creating this technology under their, uh, you know, protection and slash like funding. She disappeared, quote unquote. The, the history of this is that this woman whose research was being funneled, you know, not into the public's eye, but into the military echelons and national security provisions of the Pentagon, you know, whatever she had developed, whatever she had made, whatever advancements she had created, whatever she had or had not created, the military would know first, right? And thus, she, ironically, disappeared. And many people claim that she went to China, was either smuggled out of the country or expatriated, uh, went to China, and then was either kidnapped or hired onto the Chinese space program, where they have since, I believe this is around 2014, publicly gone on record as creating uh, generations worth of advancements in those fields of advanced propulsion, anti-gravitics, electrogravitics, and EM drives. Now, you can say that this was all how espionage works, and, you know, I respect that opinion. It shows that you understand how engineering is vital and crucial to the modern espionage spy world, um, more crucial than, than any real material or secret, are the actual professionals and engineers and educated people of the world who know the science behind it. Because you don't need to even have blueprints or um, CDs or, or, you know, information. You don't have to have data. You just need to know the person who can make that data for you. And this is how you play. Basically, it's a giant game of kidnap the scientists and capture the scientists. And you just capture the scientists and then they go create the technology for you. Um, but... It seems to me that this is how they're going to disclose the information of why so many foreign powers have this same technology. It's not through an extreme competition, an arms race for experimental space technologies or, or, or propulsion technologies. It is rather that most of the world's nations are in a complete alliance with collaborating to create this breakaway civilization of extraterrestrial allied, aware, and uh, collaborating uh, humans, earthlings, um, off-world, in these unreachable areas, separated from the general population through secrecy allowed to reap the immeasurable gains of this technology and power 
as well as slowly over time uh, be responsible for the education of its own people. Now, in their mind, they are justified by saying that this technology is just far too advanced and dangerous for a uh, people as primitive as we, right? And then they point to these examples of history where we were given authority and weapons and then, um, you know, such negativity occurred. The false narrative of history, which they all have also created, and this is what I'm saying, is that when you stop thinking about things as being disconnected, it's no longer a competition between these powers. It's a collaboration to create the conspiracy of the secret space program. That the secret space program is actually only possible because everyone is working together. And that's exactly it. Is that they didn't? The Chinese did not steal. And <clears throat> even this is the fact too: is that the idea of the Chinese being enemies at all to America or antagonistic at all is missing the big picture. And that is that everything that we are doing is to advance them because it seems like they've already had this this date and destiny where they are going to be the ones taking the responsibility for these technologies. You start seeing this this kind of prediction of the future, you start seeing this greater picture of it, where you start saying that, oh, these people have um, roles to play in the, this giant game of disclosure, which will be your Project Blue being your false disclosure. The reality, though, is that these technologies have existed. They've existed for nearly a hundred years. These were technologies invented at the end of the Industrial Revolution or the late 1800s. Uh, they were technologies that were not suppressed at all. In fact, the idea of suppression of technology only came about in the Cold War and only came about because uh, manufacturing started becoming a issue of national security and people didn't like it's not the fact that people didn't remember it's that over generations we have just been given less of the technology and thus it becomes uh, something that we're constantly thinking is new and that our amnesia only started occurring around the 1970s and 80s and then fully embraced America around the 90s and 2000s. So we're really only talking about a phenomenon that's 50 years old, and that's the cover-up, the conspiracy, quote-unquote conspiracy. Um, yes, secrecy has been kept since the beginning of this. Yes, there has always been manipulation, mind control, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But real dark age level keep the people from learning how to read conspiracy level stuff really only started around the 70s, 80s, and especially in the 90s. Um, so basically before then, people not only knew about this technology, they embraced it and were very excited about it. Um, for example, I'll give you the timeline for how this thing really happened. In the 1890s, there were already airships. There was already an international air uh, society, a pilot airman society of pilots and people studying um, 
at first it was Zeppelins, but and then people stick their noses up because they think Zeppelins are a primitive technology. Anything you can do in a plane, you can do in a lighter-than-air vehicle, such as a Zeppelin. The only, the only issue was production, that you couldn't really make tons of them, and even then, there were thousands of them. In major cities in the late 1800s, say for example London or Berlin, the sky was filled with balloons. There were balloons, believe it or not, were an incredibly popular thing in America too. That we'd like to think that during the Wright Brother era, 1910, that when people were creating airplanes, no one had ever flown. They didn't create airplanes because they had balloons. They didn't think that wings and like sticking yourself on basically a bicycle that flew was more civilized than being able to get into a 200 foot long dirigible and being able to take a bubble bath as you fly over the Atlantic Ocean. Like, it wasn't a matter of planes being immediately technologically superior. The same thing with cars. Is that, yes, while cars did change the game of personal transport, the people knew trains and they knew trolleys and they had buggies for inner city travel, which is not bad when you're only moving across a couple of blocks. Like, oh, you know, it's not, and they had bicycles and motorcycles. So it wasn't like by the time the Model T rolled out, they didn't have an option of motorized vehicles to already choose from. And that travel was a phenomenon that no one had ever, like, you're, you what, you went to another city? Like, yes, like, they had organized public transportation by the time the personal car had come out. And this is what I was saying, is that it's not like the technology, this is what I was saying, that modern day people think these technologies are extremely new. So anyway, we'll keep going on. So Tesla was alive around the late 1800s to the 1920s, uh, 1930s, right? Dying, I believe, in 1943. Uh, Tesla had already changed the game so much, but Tesla himself is a smokescreen. Where it's he's not a smokescreen. I think he's absolutely uh, praiseworthy. He's worth everything that good can be said about uh, Nikola Tesla. Should be said about him. But there were other scientists around the same time creating energy sources and working with experimental stuff like that that get ignored. And Tesla's always remembered because of the the name, and which you know he rightfully should be. At the same time, people forget the different labyrinthian and branching sciences that were emerging back then. Do you know people were creating electricity out of music? Yes, people were creating electricity out of music. People were creating um, revolutionary advancements in terms of uh, healing uh, the human body. Things like the, well, what we know now as the rife ray, which is the, the bombardment of the human body with uh, microwave energy to fight cancers. I think that was like a sound baths. Um, harmonics of different kinds, resonances, frequencies, not only connecting to the teleforce or the electromagnetic fields of reality, but into the residential nature of sound and of organic uh, biorhythms 
et cetera, et cetera. Like, that will be a, a video I will do completely on its own to talk about the different scientists and advanced technologies that have been suppressed. But absolutely, it's definitely worth exploring there. That technologies there were taken serious at the time. These were not sideshows. These were not things that modern day, that the majority of society had no application for. The military has existed basically the same way since the 1700s. And the American military is famously very open-minded, being very progressive with its tactics, with its technology, because its only advantage was its tactics and its technology. Now, if you look at how history was quote-unquote playing out at this time, World War I had completely shown the world that you had to not only advance, but advance so quickly that no one could keep up. And that nations of equal size and strength basically could not really be at odds with each other because they would it would result in slaughter of entire generations of people. So, you know, obviously since they knew the bigger picture, they had already contacted extraterrestrials through their seances, through their psychic means, they found technology in the Old West. Maybe or maybe not, they could have applied it. Around this time, there was a definite, not only uh, hunt for lost technologies, lost cities, lost continents for this Gnostic knowledge. It was also a real, committed um, collection of this technology. It wasn't only to go find it. You weren't only going to record it and that it existed. You were going to bring it back. You were going to do research on it and reverse engineer it, figure it out. So think about it. For the last like 60 years, right, from like 1860 to 1920, you had people just going out and finding shit, right? Like finding where UFOs were buried, finding the Aztec ruins, going into the jungles, exploring that, finding Antarctica, uh, trying to get to the first ones to climb mountains, things like that. Just mapping, incredible uh, detailed mapping of the ancient world as it was discovered by the modern world, right? Aided by technology such as the steamship, such as the ironclad, such as the, the modern day rifle, machine gun, uh, motor vehicle, airplane, etc., etc. right? So basically, now that we have all the ingredients, this is where the, uh, the meal really comes to play. This is where it really all comes together. When we started collecting them, obviously we started learning how to use these ancient technologies. It was around this same time that you started seeing that with our advancements, we could
language experts were learning how to read the ancient languages of Sanskrit, of the Egyptian finding. Ancient computers could be operated. Ancient engines could be turned on. Language experts were learning how to read the ancient languages of Sanskrit, of the Egyptian hieroglyphics, of the Mayan cuneiform. They were beginning to translate what was ultimately the user manuals for technology that was hundreds of years more advanced because it was developed by civilizations that had lasted for thousands of years. This was think about it. the ancient Chinese have lasted for ten thousand years. The modern Chinese don't even speak ancient Chinese. That's how long their country existed. It evolved a new language. Modern Indians, exactly, they have existed on the same areas and territories with the same buildings for thousands of years. <coughs> America being the land of the melting pot, but it's actually not the only one that can claim this because the English Empire also was extremely comfortable with other cultures, and we kind of follow just the cosmopolitans that the French, for example, were doing it as well. As I said, the co this is not really a competition, so while I'm saying America, not every American is hip to it, and at the same time, it's just to kind of get you in a sense of localities. Everyone's doing this, though, basically. Everyone's going out, grabbing stuff, bringing it back, hiding it in the secret little bunkers and uh, like special little like areas and they're getting international experts uh, to, to work on it. For example, Tesla was from Serbia. He did most of his work in Colorado under a Rockefeller. That's like Rockefeller would go get recruit people from different because exactly this was a time of the melting pot. This was a time of the third wave immigration. So people were really having to survive, like, if on their wits. If not, they would starve if they couldn't feed themselves in a big city. That was just how it was. So they were hedging the population already, creating this breakaway civilization that would fuel the secret space program because this is how they still recruit their talent from poor or immigrant backgrounds and roots and they get people of select talents and uh, abilities who are extremely desperate, and then they become the people who start be who are so invested into the system that they have really nowhere else to go, and if that, no one will else believe them. So basically, as it was back then as it is now, so Nikola Tesla was in the same boat. He's a Serbian immigrant. He had to use his mind to survive, and in doing so, he may have also been uh, put there on Earth for a reason, contacted by extraterrestrial powers, himself maybe an extraterrestrial, sent there specifically to kind of foster this new age. But it was through the mastery of electricity, because everything that is in the secret space program has one uniform uh, commonality and a, like uh, engineering point of existence, and that's electricity. Everything shares its need for electricity, regardless of its specifics or the materials that it's made out of. And the mastery of the electricity in the 1920s was the absolutely most important piece in this puzzle. Is because once we mastered basic electricity, especially electrogravitics, 
nothing was um, secret from us any longer. Alright, so, the mastery of electricity. This is extremely important because we were then able to do things like operate ancient computers, operate ancient robotics, open um, previously locked parts of ancient temples, which would then be acting like hangars or warehouses, specifically in Egypt, finding at first stargates. Once having these pieces of the puzzle, even regardless if we were going to operate them immediately, they were opening our eyes to the reality that there was obviously something together. No longer, see, from 1920s forward, was the political world on Earth arguably unattached to this moment. After this discovery, everything was set in motion to bring literally every nation into play. Not one would be allowed to be, quote-unquote, a powerful uh, antagonist in the system, right? Regardless if you're for or against the secrecy of this program or the direction it took. Uh, Think of it as in Metal Gear Solid when they disclosed the Patriots, that in the interior between World War One and World War Two, all of the world's banking, all of the world's trade, all of the world's industrial production, all of the world's political system was united, regardless of previous difference or current standing, into one super transnational uh, United Nations. This was not told to by the people, and in fact, the world would be created like a theater. To, to bring everyone together and it would be controlled by mind control and uh, other invisible silent weapons like that uh, created at this point by the Tavistock Institute not only to keep us unwise to their plans but to then become completely involved with the world as it is uh, regardless of how clearly manipulated it was um, so we would then see World War II break out. World War II was obviously the cover for the... Oh, this is what I was saying. This would, this would inspire the separation of Germany from the system, from Dutchland from the system. Once we became fully, like, you have to either be completely into the conspiracy, secrecy element of it, or you are going to be destroyed because we all got to take this vow of secrecy. The Germans uh, were like, okay, we got to leave because we're not going to keep secret from ourselves. Like, the idea of being responsible for your own people's ignorance and weakness and, like, uh, like confusion uh, in the future was abhorrent to them. That was abominable. Like this, the idea of the German people not knowing about the space program, especially when it was the German space program, they couldn't stand it, right? So their entire idea was to get this technology. Uh, like you don't need the, the actual materials. You just need the people who can make it. They got all of their elites, all of their cream of the crop society. They created the entire eugenics uh, system beforehand, and they knew exactly who to ask, who to go to. These people were... Uh, who they wanted to go in millions of them, right? Millions. Uh, somewhere around 9 million, 9 to 10 million Germans. Um, swept up, taken out of Germany, 
put onto massive U-boats that were like the size of cruise ships and then they were put on the and, and cruise ships themselves and people don't know this but actually Nazi Germany was heavily heavily invested in the cruise industry and that uh, Europeans love cruises and so it's not inconceivable and think about it, Titanic and it was made in England and this was the time of great cruise ships and you could fit like you know five to ten thousand civilians on each one of these cruise ships uh, they're not ships of war so they wouldn't have been even uh, viewed as suspicious and then over time you just start smuggling millions of Germans and by the time anyone realizes it I mean like it's, it's extremely doable you can easily move 10 million Germans <laughs> over time and um, a lot of it was actually just paperwork for it too uh, during the whole fake or false war two scenario or narrative Himmler who was number two wants to buy Madagascar from Britain and the paperwork exists where he's sending letters to then friendly British diplomats and he's like we want to buy Madagascar we don't like we, we want to buy it we, we just want that island in Africa that's the size of California and you're like, oh, because I, I wonder what... Because they were going to move down there, and he wanted as another island for them to move down to. He's like, why would you want to fight over Madagascar? And if they had sold it to him, it's theorized in this reality that we live in now, this uh, surface-level scenario conspiracy, that if the British had sold Himmler Madagascar, the Holocaust would never have happened because Himmler would have put all the German Jews on a boat and sailed into Madagascar. And he would have dropped off six million people on an island. That's the paperwork that exists. That same plans were used just to get Germans, the richest of the rich and the smartest of the smart, on a boat and sail them to fucking South America and dropped them off. The same, you see how the logistics already existed? They were already planning how to ship millions of people by a boat to an island? It's, that's how they were doing it. They evacuated their country. They basically <laughs> left their country um, to the wolves. And um, what happened was America, knowing that it couldn't really cover up the massive empty cities that existed, decided to give most of it to the Soviet Union. They built the Berlin Wall, uh, separating most of the German internal traffic from other parts of Germany and over time, replace them with fucking Russians. Now, the whole East German fiasco. Uh, do you hear of any other city inside Germany besides Berlin during that time? It's because most of them were empty. And over the course of the Soviet Union, they just repopulated it. Remember, they, the Soviet Union broke on down all the borders, and they just repopulated it so that when the German wall would, you know, collapse, when it would come down, they would just then be have people there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Guten Tag, we're German." Not, there were Russians who were moved there in the fifties. You know, like, like Stalin made up most of what they call World War Two. And if you don't believe that figure, that Stalin is like the, the USSR propaganda machine, uh, check out the Nuremberg file tri uh, paperwork, and um, also the the absolute crazy figure that nine out of every ten Germans died, supposedly died in Russia. So it's not a grave for them because they just threw them in a mass grave. 
like, so, so out of all the German military who's just, who existed, right, all the Nazi military who existed, nine out of ten of them are missing. And they're missing because they died in Russia, and the Russians, like Hitler, just threw fire on them, like gasoline on them, and lit them on fire. Remember, this is also what's said to have happened to Hitler, is that a Russian found him, and then, like, I just threw him in a ditch, and then lit him on fire, and, um, yep, no more Hitler. And say, like, that's all I, like, nine out of ten of the most important people in the Russian, and the German military, if not just the everyday person, was missing by the end of the war. And that the USSR had to create this incredible narrative where they had these battles that were the most savage in all time and that, you know, curse happened and, you know, like, just crazy stuff. Stalingrad, Leningrad. That's what I said. The narrative that people believe, these holy wars, um, were to explain the vanishing Germans. And the Germans vanished, right? They didn't vanish. They went to Antarctica and South America. And this is the thing. You don't need to have Germany to be German, especially when you know the world is a lie. When you know that everything is a lie because the secret space program is a lie, they don't have any faith anymore into any system. They can just call themselves Argentinian for the rest of their life and I don't give a shit. It's, like, it's all the same to them. Uh, all of it's a scam. They know it. Once you know the, the big picture, then you realize no one's won a war in like a long, like 150 plus years. There hasn't been a real war. There hasn't been a real sense of national like effort or competition or pride. It's like all that stuff kind of falls apart because you realize you're just you're in like the the uh, the whole theater of it, right? And that's no longer a matter of subversion or diversion like in the Cold War. That was all created to cause confusion. That was all created to cause the illusion, to cause the conspiracy. Uh, because then they have you making th- making believe that you're actually fighting each other. Because you're not, like as a, as a nation. The United States was never fighting Russia. Ever. They were always working together. The average American and the average Russian thought that's what everything was all about, and that's they thought they hated each other. They didn't have it. They didn't even fucking meet each other. They, they don't even what. They don't even know what they're saying. Exactly. Like, why would you hate a stranger? It doesn't make any fucking sense. And that's the whole point of the Cold War. It doesn't make any fucking sense. They want you to make make you believe that wars don't make any fucking sense. They do. It's just that these are not real wars. These were all. Uh, pantomimes to help mobilize and concentrate troops to neutralize extraterrestrial threats incursions of the unknown or the unexplainable uh, to create the infrastructure for these breakaway civilizations right in front of your eyes the thing is though they know that they can not only they not only do they need the military because this is a part of a military action in a much bigger sense you know the secret mil- space program is the military but they know that the average person is terrified and uh, disgusted by the act of war and so they just have to show you what they know you want to think you know, once you want, know you want to see and then when you see too much you'll never look again and this explains things like the recent, uh, by recent standards, you know, I guess I've always lived forever, so it's a blink of an eye to me. Uh, the Persian Gulf Desert Storm event, where they, the, the great, um, 
uh, highway bombing where they killed like uh, 3,000 civilians as they were trying to drive away from Kuwait in the, the desert. And they knew they were civilians. They burned them alive with white phosphorus and napalm and uh, scraped them with Apaches for a couple of, like literally an hour, uh, making sure they got everyone. Um, then had CNN and the cameras come by and then take a photo, see routers, all that, American Associated Press, all that come by and just take photos of the charred corpses because they had to justify, they had to hide the fact that we went over there for a Stargate and it was that simple we went over there just to collect a Stargate we had to explain why we sent the military so we killed 3,000 civilians by burning them to death in their cars with their families as they tried to run away from us see that's how the secret space programs really kept secret you know ISIS for example ISIS the whole thing the whole thing, start to finish. The whole thing's a psyop. It's the hide spaceships that they're finding in the Middle East. <laughs> so that's all it is. There's a fucking load of spaceships just hanging out in the desert, all buried in the sand and in the mountains and shit. And then they fucking, uh, they even showed it that ISIS was going, uh, blew up Petra. ISIS blew up Petra. Remember, they went to Petra, a, a city that's been there for like 4,000 years, not hurting nobody, just hanging out, carved into a rock, and they blew the fuck out of it. They broke statues, and they're, because they're, they're over there, they wanted to show you that they're over there blowing shit up, digging it up, you know, on like, like fucking it up as they try to remove it, as they dig it up. Some things are going to be gone, and it's like, make, hey, well, ISIS did it. You know, what about that? You know, ziggurat that's been there for 8,000 years. Oh, ISIS blew it up. What about that, uh, you know, whatever statue, where'd it go? ISIS must have stole it. You know, and it's this, they, they create the horror that people expect. And it, this, this entire thing, uh, for example, ISIS was entirely CIA Mossad. And it was entirely just to create uh, wholesale chaos uh, you know, for discount prices. No one involved in ISIS knew this. No one involved in the street level of ISIS was aware that they were CIA puppets, was aware that they secretly worked for the West, was aware, was aware that everything that they were doing was actually a major distraction so that, uh, say, for example, United States and Russian special forces and army engineers could go and excavate extraterrestrial technologies and cities and, you know, survey and, and do all that good shit right under the world's noses. They didn't do that because this is how deep the manipulation works. They, they were born into systems that enforced the illusion so much that they were so living in the moment that they can't see the big picture of it. And this is what I'm saying, is that this is, it's not something you go ask the common man, right? Uh... It, exactly, you can't ask someone in Nevada what's going on in Area 51. They don't have access to Area 51. They're like on the outside of the gate, you know, and their actions are what you're trying to look past because the, he's like, like, so you see people in the town 
and the town has nothing to do with it. You have to go up the road, and then when you go up the road, there's a gate, and the gate's locked, and you can't get behind the gate. But beyond the gate, there's a base, and it's not just hanging out on the base. It's in a bunker, and the bu- bunker, it, you know, has an elevator, and you need the codes to get. You see, I'm saying it's not like, oh yeah, you work on the base, and then you work in the building with the bunker door, but you don't get to go down the bunker door. So even if you ask that guy, he doesn't really know. And as I say, like, there's a whole idea behind it, like. Um, that it's yes this is what I'm saying so it's not the ISIS it's not the sheiks controlling the ISIS forces it's not the gun runners giving them the AK-47s and Toyota trucks it's not the news media it's not Syria it's not al-Bashad it's uh, none of them it's not Putin it wasn't Obama it wasn't Trump it's these major players in the world, these inheritors of the Philosopher's Club, the Philosopher's Stone uh, of the world. These people don't really even need to be identified. What they can be identified is by the fruits of their labors and by the businesses. So given that's how you know, I'm going to bring everyone up to date with the ways that it's not only possible but kept secret, let's get into more specifics about the organization and the uh, let's see, the, the, the real world like, let's touch the tires down and, you know, <laughs> let's start some fires and kick some tires and let's get into like the kind of how it started. So around the 1920s aviation becomes weaponized, right? Aviation becomes weaponized with the creation of the aircraft carrier, with the creation of bombers, with fighter squadrons. Uh, They are quickly organized with culture this way. Aviation itself, though, is nothing new. With, like I said before, with the addition of the Zeppelins and with even balloons serving as far back as the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, You know, and so... The organization structure is already there to keep secrecy, to keep a chain of command, to keep the discipline necessary to, like, influence it. Also, it's got a massive amount of manpower and uh, prestige, right? And a lot of the mythologies of early aviation, especially in America, is how underfunded and neglected it was as, like, a thing, like, as an organization. Like, oh, yeah, the, the... master jet base in Virginia was just a muddy turnip field before they maybe bought it for pennies on the dollar and decided to test, uh, to train their pilots there, and it was the first, no, this was something that Rockefeller that, the, you know, the richest men in the world were deeply, deeply interested in financing and invested into not only the the civilian aspect of airline, of, of airplane travel and of aeronautics, but the military application as well. Why? Because it's a force multiplier, like the greatest force multiplier known to man. A private, wealthy millionaire and billionaire can easily create a security force that rivals your basic enlisted uh, you know elements of any military there's enough veterans there's enough open source material to go around mercenary companies 
you know, this is your example for that, Blackwater, etc. They existed back then, too. They existed back then. Uh, mercenaries have existed since the Middle Ages, if you want to believe the, the conventional history story, right? So, black nobility, mafiosos, uh, and by mafiosos, I don't mean like, it's, I mean like real black nobility from Venice, international trading, and international trading uh, merchants, for example, specifically the Dutch East India Company. Um, you know, even the Buddhist bank and things like that. These people would have clearly understood a funny story with the Buddhists and planes. Do you know the first people to ever fly over the Himalayan mountains were Americans? They were allowed and given permission to fly over the Himalayan mountains to aid China in World War II by the fucking Dalai Lama himself. Because you, you might be saying, like, hey, uh, beyond top secret Texan, uh, what did the Buddhists have to do with planes? The Americans OSS, who became the CIA, sent agents to Nepal to speak directly with the Dalai Lama. And they asked the Dalai Lama if they could fly their planes over the Himalayan mountains. And they showed him a plane. Rumor is, he even got to fly inside the plane. Rumor is, he even asked to be taken up. And he got the little tour, they flew him around. You have no idea about the power of aviation. If you doubt that aviation changed the world from the top down, from the bottom up. The common man has very little experience with aviation. They are called the jet set for a reason. Some of the most powerful men in the world live their entire lives in airplanes. I know that sounds fucking crazy. This is I'm trying to initiate you guys into the world of this breakaway civilization. There are flying cities. Once they mastered electrogravitation, which basically means uh, pumping a massive amount of voltage into metal to create anti-gravitic uh, properties, they figured out that you can put these devices onto ships. Not specially designed ships, just fucking ships like the Titanic and stuff like that. And that you can make one of these ships fly. That you can attach enough of them to a building and the building will just float. That with sufficient generators and a power source, you could attach it to a specially constructed uh, frame and basically lift off and have a flying Eiffel Tower or a flying Statue of Liberty because these things were made out of metal. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's kind of like a big pill, but it's easiest to take if you've already taken it before. And so that you have to think the Eiffel Tower, Statue of Liberty, um, the... 19, the 1893 Chicago World Fair is when they actually launched one of these cities up, and it was called Columbia. They actually launched one of these cities up as a demonstrator, and it flew around the world. That was exactly what the original 
uh, indications was that the city was going to fly around the world, and it would make it had a couple of literally a couple of hundred scientists, men, women, their families, the you know upstanding citizens, et cetera, et cetera, and they were you know the pilots, the staff, the the, the engineers, and they were going to try to fly around the world. That was what the literature at the time was saying. Now, this is entirely man-made technology that they were applying these radical and incredibly advanced propulsion systems. They were also opening up in reverse engineering ancient world designs, uh, ancient world uh, airships, uh, technologies, uh, everything from the personal applications of small gadgets to uh, mathematics that they had, you know, theorized but never really, like, conceptualized before. They had proofs of it. This was able to expand their technologies infinitely. This is what I'm saying about the idea that rich men can create their own armies. Rich men can, were the ones that created all of this in the first place. Is that, yes, the monolithic military-industrial society that the military-industrial complex that America is known for now is the corporatization under the heading of national defense of what previously were just billionaires and their personal armies. Specifically, personal navies where their soldiers, their riflemen, would be called Marines. A very good uh, uh, eyewitness source of this during the time was Smedley Butler, who was a general for the Marine Corps during the Great Depression when he was called upon by the world's richest men at the time to kidnap and maybe assassinate President Hoover with an army of disgruntled veterans from World War I. He was then to give power to these billionaires. They were going to revoke the Constitution and create a modernized industrial America uh, based on fascist Italy. That was a potential possible future for the United States of America. I theorize they did this. Maybe not with Smedley Butler. God rest his soul, that true American hero for exposing not only their plot, but also writing a memoir where he rebuked his former service for the United States Marine Corps and rebuked the foreign policy of America during the time, stating that he was nothing more than an Al Capone, that he uh, basically extorted and... and uh, terrorized countries like Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Panama, 
uh, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Costa Rica, surely for the profit of the monopolies, of uh, basically the fruit monopolies, of the uh, natural resource monopolies, and of the uh, you know American exceptionalists at the time, the Monroe Doctrinists, who believed that no country could ever ever compete with the United States by, for any reason, if allowable. The crimes that the United States committed across the sea are now understood, but still only relegated to a small amount of people, like, in their, their real, like, understanding of it. Besides the, the, the amazing amount of patriotism and, like, nationalism Americans generally have, Americans don't want to learn about their own wars, about their own militaries. Many people don't know that the Americans fought the Philippines in a war, American-Philippine war during this time. That's what I'm saying. Like, why would Americans fight the Philippines? Because we were trying to colonize the Philippines and force them to grow sugar canes away from their standardized crop. The Filipinos were not a forced uh, agriculture society. They kind of just did their own thing. While doing that, we completely we're going to just treat them like second-class citizens. And, spoiler alert, we did. Uh, up until the point where the Japanese bombed and um, took over Manila, Manila was a territory of... I mean, the Philippines was a territory of the United States and England. And basically, uh, just completely at the mercy of the United States in terms of you know, governance. Um, this story repeats itself across South America, Central America, South Pacific, um, Indochina, Africa, um, basically around the world that Americans, the British, and the French, because everyone knows colonialism. Right? And like I said, this idea of colonialism is exactly how the military operated. It was only formed to its modern-day international um, crisis prevention and um, uh, response force nature, right? The idea that a, a war could break out and then Americans will be sent all the way across the world to fight and to win and to uh, put up the American flag, the old stars and stripes, and that, you know, everything's going to be saved because America. That was created so that our interests abroad would be defended, and those interests abroad were the interests of the very, very elite. Look at how we took over Hawaii, you know, by force. The United States Navy was basically rented out to major uh, real estate and uh, agricultural interests during a time when Mark Twain was alive. Like, like Mark Twain was, was uh, an old man when we had taken over Hawaii culturally. This, this is a modern post-Civil War United States where we immediately turn outward expansionist and aggressive. Here is the catch with that. You may think to yourself, how rich is rich in America, right? Like, you, you may know some rich people, some millionaires. Because of men like these and the possibilities that they had at their hand, in their disposal, 
that they, and remember, they were not working in a state of ignorance. These men were already enlightened, already aware of ancient civilizations, ancient te technologies, etc., etc. They were heavily invested in the, the attempts at redesigning and recreating these aircraft, these technologies, specifically for Manas. Now, the concept of the UFO phenomenon has been always relegated to craft um, that humans couldn't replicate or redesign, right? That the idea is that... Um, yeah, is that uh, they're so impossible by our laws of physics and our natures. This is a mentality that has only been fostered and enforced by these men to keep you in the dark. Now, for this, uh, I guess you call it last third of the introduction to this concept of the secret space program, um, I want you to think of this. Everything you've been taught is a lie, right? And that you, if you're listening to this, are probably, like by the majority of it, not told the truth when it comes to this matters. In fact, the recruitment process for professionals such as engineers is so labor inf intensive and so uh, strict in requirements. It's easier to be a Green Beret, it's easier to be a Navy SEAL than it is to be a real, I guess you would call it, a real important engineer in the world of aviation. When you look at companies that exist, that are in the aviation world, that are in the white program, white project, surface project, levels of technology, you see the advancements that they are making. These companies are only working with a fraction of what's possible. When you see, for example, do some research on the modern day companies and you look at drone technology, right? UAV technology. And you look at something like uh, hypersonic drone uh, reconnaissance plane technology and they can fly Mach 5, uh, you know, and skip across the atmosphere of the Earth, et cetera, et cetera. If you're looking at things like silent sonic booms and NASA and their experimental craft and how they're working on it, if you're looking at things like um, electric-powered planes with um, zero points of failure being advertised as the next hybrid uh, helicopters for personal executives that run on electricity and hydrogen, have zero carbon impact, and can be can land on people's uh, roofs and driveways, you know, allowing for inner city uh, travel. Remember, these people have something against the same confusion as you and have been able to tap into it using their logic and their rationality, right? Using math and engineering skill and computers and designing and their own education and their own imagination have created these things. These things are not impossible. These things were not delivered by extraterrestrials. If you had been given literally more money than you could possibly use in a thousand lifetimes, You have been given literally access to the world's greatest universities and professors, um, you know, and, and extraterrestrial knowledge and ancient world technology and knowledge on an international scale. 
you could design and manufacture literally any amount of prototypes of experimental craft, perform the tests, you know, laboratories for the materials, um, bases for where they'd be tra- pilots to be trained and housed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Not even, not even factoring in the need for keep secrecy, right? Because at this point, there's no need to, besides your own population, right? But, but you're communicating with other insiders, too, who are also working on these developments. How far do you think you would go? How far in advanced, in prototype and design and conception, do you think you could go? A big, big mistake is to think these men have any limitations. And do you think that at any point the technology that we see is less than a hundred years obsolete compared to what they've already done? Because they've been doing this since the 1930s. They've been doing this at a time where they didn't have to factor in uh, the dumb needs of congressional budgets or uh, the, the mainstream political situations like the Cold War. Uh, Nine out of ten planes that you see in the American Armory, for example, in the wing, um, were created specifically to answer threats and strategies posed against the Soviet Union, like European containment, uh, proxy wars in the Pacific, um, et cetera, et cetera, against an enemy that we weren't really enemies with. Think about the idea of ICBM technology. That we created rockets so that we could have a nuclear standoff between intercontinental missiles uh, and, the, and the nuclear-powered uh, nations. The, enemy, the nations were not enemies. We never needed those. That's not why we made them. That's not their intended purpose. Those were just fireworks to distract children and to get people to hide under their desks. As that's not the peak and pinnacle of American engineering. And many of the things that we demonstrated in the Cold War are used still in the secret space program. <coughs> the idea, though, that is that any canceled project in our military history was ever truly canceled. That is a myth. Absolutely a myth. Nothing is ever canceled that was ever designed by taxpayer dollars that is shown to people in lower levels of society, specifically in your lower-tiered military industrial uh, complex society, distributed that way. What you're seeing when they're canceled is proof that there's no need for weapons at this point in society. That what's more relevant to people are weapons that have 1920s technology like the submachine gun or the assault rifle or the RPG, um, etc. That level of weaponry is really all people need and ever use. Um, nations like the Russians and the Americans, they 
have spent billions of dollars on aviation warfare technology and have very seldomly used it except at a pure one-sided aggression, like air supremacy in the Middle East during the global war on terror, universal logistics, etc., etc. Like, America can fly people back and forth uh, around the world, literally in a non-stop 24-hour circuit, and it does so, and it's extremely impressive and logistically, you know, like, uh, remarkable. That just goes to show that there is no other competition either rivaling us in the sky or being hostile to any American planes because the world is at peace. The world is ultimately at peace. There's, there's no no-fly zones that America is not specifically implementing. No other nation can rival us in uh, air warfare. No another nation has anywhere near our spending, our budget, our capacity uh, for training and for design. Uh, China is being groomed to be a successor or to be a peer-to-peer level for the next arms race. But this is what I was saying about China having these kind of like predestined roles. And I believe that in the 21st century, it's kind of been decided that it's more of a plausible enemy than Russia, especially nowadays when we can actually, you know, average citizens a little bit more intelligent when it comes to culture and people and human nature and things like that. Chinese people are still very foreign to Americans. Uh, Russians are very, like, like there are, there are Russians that live in America. Exactly, like, you know, like we, there are Chinese people who live in America, too. Uh, but for some reason, I think the racist prejudice can be more oriented towards Chinese people in the 21st century. So it's a better fit for a Cold War. Point is, though, we can also excuse a lot of advanced technology by pretending that Chinese people are smart. Okay, so yeah, getting into it. All these technologies, though, were worked out and created by private industry in the West and in the East. Private industry. There are over 20 companies that in the 50s alone were working on electrogravitics, which is anti-gravity via electromagnetic power. Electricity, basically. Electromagnetic uh, uh, means, right? The creation of anti-gravity. In the 1950s, 20 aviation companies, all major, all with United States defense contracts, all with experience making weapons of war, but all much older than the 1950s, having their start in the first days of aviation. This is what I'm saying, is that it's not a matter of the taxpayer dollar going to it. These programs were created by the richest people in the world 20 years, 30 years prior to that, as specifically companies that would be the ones gathering the specialists, excusing the, uh, the the whole reasons for their existence um, you know to the public's eye at the same time pioneering and uh, facilitating the, the, these technologies and they're reverse engineering them like Motorola did with uh, cell phones but then you ask who created the Motorola company the Shell Oil company that's what I'm saying like you gotta understand like the, the motor or, or sorry the Motorola company was specifically created as the company that would reverse engineer alien or advanced technology, advanced ancient society technology, communications devices from the very start. 
they weren't companies that were coming out of the woodworks and just had these technologies or were given them because the guy knew a guy. No, these these companies like Rockwell Aviation, McDonnell Douglas, General Electric, um, Wright Patterson. Um, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. Lockheed. Um, it, it just keeps going on. Uh, General Dynamics, uh, DARPA, Rand, um, and even the government and uh, organizations themselves, like the Atomic Energy Commission, the um, you know everything basically and that involves the 20th century and advanced technology, such as like even the Patent Office and things like that. Um, these institutions were created originally and organized originally by these power players specifically for them and their needs to create and secure the secret space program, its secrecy and um, its future technology. They could do things like buy land via um, the Bureau of Land Management make it off limits due to the National Parks and Forestry Organization, right, or agency. Uh, make it a wilderness area, keeping civilians far away from it, or at least without any kinds of technology themselves. Then use the United States Army and its engineering corps to build a tunnel that led to a base which was entirely funded and created by their construction companies uh, you know, and their supply companies, so there's very limited internal paper trail. And at the same time, the whole point is to create a testing ground for reverse-engineered ancient alien technologies originally discovered by their universities, their professors, their uh, professionals in that regard, right? Their Indiana Joneses, architects, etc. That technology could then be reverse-engineered via a collaboration of private and military uh, specialists. They said the military specialists are synonymous with private specialists, so these company experts are kept in their own communities, in their own world. They don't need money. They don't need to talk to anyone. In fact, the way human nature works is that most people wouldn't want to talk to them because they are a different class. And they, it's like, I, I think it's really cool if someone come, came from a family of uh, aircraft or aviation engineers and they made fighter planes uh, for the government, but. I can tell you that 99.99% of people wouldn't even wouldn't even lift like wouldn't even want to tell like say hi to them. They wouldn't even want to like tell them to tell them any stories or to like know anything about their job or where they work. It's just not on their radar. Like I said, a culture of ignorance that was enforced by mind control. But you can say unless you're talking to someone who's very into it, like specifically already into it, that you worked for um, Skunk Works, and they don't even know what Skunk Works is. That's what I'm saying. It's not a matter of being like Bob Lazar. It's a matter that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of those people just around the world minding their own business and being left alone for it. Like, you know, like that's, this is the true breakaway civilization, and I guess I'll kind of close with that. The true breakaway civilization is the aviation engineering world. It's just that. Yes, there's other elements to it. Yes, there's the 20 and back. Yes, there's cloning. Yes, there's all that, like, you know, uh, good shit, the galactic UN. Those people know that information, too. The real breakaway civilization, the backbone that makes all of this possible is the 
community of engineers and advanced technologists that focus solely on aviation and explorative technology, vehicles, vessels, things like that. It includes the hollow earth, it includes the deep sea ocean, it includes marine engineers, it includes subterranean engineers, computer scientists, software people. It includes all of those super smart, genius level Tony Starks and fucking MIT working for DARPA, working for Lockheed. They got these are the people who graduated college when they were in their teenager, like teenage years. These are the people whose parents like helped make the U2 and shit. You know, like these are the people who um, have lived their life with airplane posters on their walls, like who memorize top speeds and altitudes and climb rates, while other people were like getting into hip hop music and and trying to do drugs. And shit, like I said, like the other you know side, like they're not like normal people. This is why they're the breakaway civilization. There are people with incredibly gifted talents and abilities, uh, both in imagination and in like just pure intelligence, but they're kept separate. Specifically, not only as a security measure because of the ideas of gold, but they're also kept in their communities because they're so profitable and they're so wealthy. Like, you really think about it. Um, the idea of cost is oftentimes made the great dramatic point of conflict. Like, oh man, are we going to be able to secure the contract to build the supersonic jetliner? Oh, I don't think we're going to be able to sell the supersonic Boeing Concorde. Oh, man, I, I think we fucked up on the Concorde. Like, that's the thing. If you're at a level where you're designing an airliner, I think you're I think you're part of the elite. That's what I'm saying. I think you're already doing really well. You know, no one's ever tried to pitch a, an experimental plane before in, uh, you know, the majority of your world, of the people's lives and the families. So... Like I said, like who has that that family member who works as a draftsman for um, Aerobus? <laughs> you know exactly. Like who's uh, working for Saab, uh, designing radars, uh, mobile radars uh, for for you know exactly uh, military industrial complex sales. Like exactly. Like this is the thing. It's not only really really protected internally within governments and within societies communities and housing um, that's already secure because the Cold War has already made the very pressing issue that the average person knows that they're important so that they're kept off limits they're kept elevated from the rest of society they are elites within society it's not like you design a car which is important enough it's not like but you design a fucking military fighter plane and exactly you are on another level you are on a absolutely another level now these people's children etc etc can be groomed and raised to work on projects for their lives who is going to provide for their lives these super elites they're not living off taxpayer dollars they're not trying to make it on a government salary and a pension a Rockefeller could easily give a man a hundred million dollars every year for the rest of that guy's life and not feel it it's not a dent to them. As I'm saying, like you have to imagine that what can be done with no funding can be done for a thousand times faster and easier um, if you just gave the man 
what he earned, you know, what he deserves. And I think that the idea of the taxpayer or the government being the only motivator for these advanced technologies is just obsolete and it borders on ludicrous. And that, you know, uh, you know, it's all private enterprise at that point. This is why it's kept secret, because it's all non-disclosure agreements, not with the government. So FOIA requests and stuff like that can't provide any answers, because it's not their answers to find. Yes, I still think the United States Navy operates Solo Warden. I believe that they're in charge of the conduct and of the actions. But I believe that the United States Navy itself is merely the Navy for the United States elite, the uh, Philosophers Club, the, the Secret Society, if you were, the Illuminati, if you were, of America. It's just their chosen military organization, given how many Secret Society members uh, compose and create and make up the, the United States Navy. I believe that they're is even maybe an internal strife between elites that are choosing the Air Force, uh, elites that choose the Army, and elites that choose the uh, Navy, as well as the fact that not only are they all working together, but that they are all different faces of the same beast, in which, you know, like I said, the Navy, the different branches of the Pentagon. So really, moving forward, the Pentagon is what I'm going to say is the basically the military elite, the military Illuminati of America the Pentagon, right? So it's not like just it stops the Navy and the Air Force has no clue about it, right? No, it's that all of the United States military originally was created because remember, in the 1920s and 30s the Air Force didn't exist yet. It was the United States Army Air Corps and that the number one um, power for aviation in America was the United States Navy. It just goes to show that if you were actually dealing from a mindset that was pre-1950 that if you were to approach America in terms of wanting to speak to the leaders of aviation and the engineering of avionics in America, if you had old intelligence, it would be accurate that you would think the United States Navy was the Air Force. Yeah, I saying like between them and then the Air Force came into existence. And even then, the United States Navy has numerically more aircraft and more airmen in active duty warfare service across the world, you know, and it's not a coincidence for that either. Like I said, remember Hawaii, if you want to ever ask yourself why is the Navy doing any of this, the United States Navy does not work for the people of America, it is a corporate naval military that can be rented by the elites of wealthy, the elite wealthy Americans of the world, and that its entire purpose is that. Its entire formation was that, to protect American shipping interests and business interests. Uh, American security is not a, the American's best for the individual, but the best for America, the concept, the corporation. So, this is where we're getting into the secrecy. It becomes all a trade secret. It becomes less a matter of national, superior, uh, national uh, security and less a matter of taxpayer dollar than it does become a corporate interest. So the secret space program can be considered the secret space uh, business, basically anything that involves that business. Right? It's not a program. It's not a military program that, that surely is just trying to get enough money through Congress to keep itself running every day. 
It is a business. And you have to think, what is its return for? So all these vehicles, vessels, craft, bases, explorations, clones, pilots, officers, computers, uh, aliens, extraterrestrials, they are using this world as a port. They are using this world as a base of operations, as some kind of nexus, as some kind of hub. The secret space program, I guess we'll talk about in the next episode, uh, next week, can be broken down into three categories regarding that kind of existence. You have your Coast Guard, your defense force, right, that's going to defend the port, that's going to keep the security, doing all the customs, the trades, nothing gets through without their approval, etc., etc., they defend from anyone attacking, the thieves, etc. Um, you have your expedition fleet, the people who are always trying to find new trades to protect those merchants, say new trade routes, your explorers, your, um, your, your trade companies, right, your privateers. And then you have your uh, own bandits, your own privates. Uh, I'm sorry, your own privateers. Like I said, privateers is the, the merchants and everything. You have your own pirates. You have your own aggressive, uh, retaliatory, uh, and or conquering force. So your three are defense, trade, like diplomacy and trade, and then uh, offense which can be basically considered conquest, right? So basically, everything that is operated in the Solar Warden, the ICC, Atlantis Rising, the Dark Fleet, falls in those three categories, right? ICC, Atlantis Rising, taking over diplomacy, Solar Warden, and, uh, you know, Earth Alliance elements like the ICC, etc., taking over uh, defense of the Earth and uh, the policing of its orbit, and then not often Dark Fleet being its own privateer, its own conquest force, seeking out and neutralizing enemies, enemies of the, you know, Solar Warden, or, um, you know, acquiring um, the land by force, acquiring resources by force, or uh, defending such resources by force, right? So there you go, there's your three... Uh, divisions of it, of labor, basically, organizations of labor. Now, I'll be getting into specifics of technology, uh, kind of speaking about what I'm going to be speaking about uh, later, uh, the next episode, the difference between craft and vessel, uh, vessel and ship, basically uh, breaking down not only the, I guess we call it the naval organization or reference of the different classes of vehicle and what defines each, but their purposes, the ideas of their crews. I want to keep it more to technology, so I'm going to speak about the engines that are popular, the weaponry that's popular, the, uh, you know, technologically advanced uh, developments that are in progress, or at least were being implemented, the kind of hybrid nature of our technology being both uh, human-engineered and reverse engineered alien tech as well as given to us alien technology and um, you know the future for the secret space program where I see it moving and also what's okay this is take two uh, the original edit was cut short apparently for technical reasons but I was already ending the podcast so just wanted to kind of you know thank you all very sincerely for giving me your time Absolutely, I appreciate it uh, from the bottom of my heart. Check out my Instagram page for daily updates and memes as well as uh, 
your notifications for upcoming episodes and recording guests. Uh, definitely check out the YouTube channel, Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast YouTube, for and like uh, for videos, UFO videos, uh, previews of these podcasts, as well as my archive of older episodes, over 360 videos there and counting. So definitely would appreciate if you guys subscribe to that, leave a like, uh, you know, check out as many as possible. Great to binge on. Uh, sincerely, sincerely appreciate you guys checking out both those platforms. Um, recently got a TikTok that is going to be much of the same, short form UFO videos, and that is TikTok at Beyond Top Secret Texans. So uh, definitely appreciate you guys following me on social media and, uh, you know, appreciate very much the support both listeners new and old um if this is your first episode definitely definitely check it out uh follow me keep up keep in touch uh reach out i love hearing from my community um if you're a longtime listener uh namaste and shalom i appreciate it uh definitely always do it for you guys you guys motivate me and everything and i have a lot of original content coming up pretty soon been working on a lot of things so thank you very much namaste and shalom iron sharpens iron a friend sharpens a friend god bless you and your families Peace out. So